0: So whenever I share my story, I always want to start by saying it's a it's a story of hope, it's a story of um, resilience um, because there's so many layers to my story. And sometimes when people listen, they're just like, "Wow!" Um, but I definitely want to you know share with everybody that it's yeah it's a journey of hope, a journey of hope and a journey of courage. You're
1: listening to episode 18 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband, Hunter, and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, TFMR, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. This episode is my conversation with Jen Hepton, a certified grief and life coach who has walked through much hardship on her journey to a rainbow baby. After a difficult fertility diagnosis, she became pregnant with twins and unfortunately went on to develop severe complications, which ultimately led to the incredibly difficult decision to terminate for medical reasons, as recommended by several doctors. In her next pregnancy, she and her husband decided to pursue donor eggs to conceive. Devastatingly, that pregnancy ended in the stillbirth of their daughter Loie. Jen talks about their eventual decision to pursue surrogacy, what it was like to meet their rainbow baby Milo, and how she is consciously parenting after loss. Most recently, her journey to another baby via surrogacy has been put on pause due to COVID-19, as is the case for many others seeking fertility treatments during this time. Overall, Jen's story is one of hope. I gained so much from our conversation, and I hope you do as well. Here's the episode. So um, I'm really excited today to have Jen Hepton on the podcast um, and I I don't even know exactly how I found you, but that's how a lot of my kind of lost mom friends are on Instagram. I just somehow the algorithm brings us together and um, as it turns out, we have a lot of crossover in our stories and um, we had stillborn babies almost a year apart and um, and you have even a lot more to your story. So um, I'm really excited that you were willing to come on and share your um, your journey with us, and I'd love for you to start with um, sharing with us your definition of a rainbow baby because I know everyone kind of has different perspectives on that term. Um, so
0: I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Um, first, I want to say that I'm absolutely honored to be sharing the space with you and super honored to be here um, sharing my story with your community and acknowledging you for setting this up for creating this and so we have a place to tell our story and to help others heal and find hope and normalize normalize what we are what we've been going through and what we are going through so thank you Um, when you asked me when you sent, when you sent the email saying, I'm going to ask you what rainbow baby means to you, I thought, oh my gosh, no one's ever asked me that question. That is an amazing question. That is an amazing question because we all come to those words. We all have our unique, different experiences and journeys. So those words means, they mean, they're so different to everybody, right? I mean, I mean, you've got, society's definition or you've got, you know, the collective's definition and and you can Google it and you know a lot of what you read is um you know a rainbow baby is a baby born, you know, after a pregnancy loss. Um and it takes I think I read somewhere where it's the term rainbow is because a rain you see a rainbow after a storm. Right. So a rainbow comes when there's after you've experienced this storm. And when we think of storm, we think of pain and we think of darkness and we think of shadow and just kind of withdrawing. And then you've got this beautiful rainbow that comes out at the end. Um and so rainbow baby to me is a really interesting term because when we had to terminate our twins um every other pregnancy if it ended up as a miscarriage or a stillbirth um i always had thought this is going to be my rainbow baby this is going to be my rainbow baby and when it didn't happen i always thought well that was still a rainbow baby because it was the hope of a baby um yes it wasn't a physical baby and yes you know, um, you know, with the early on pregnancies or the early on, sorry, uh, miscarriages. Um, it's, it doesn't seem like it was a rainbow. Um, but when we were pregnant with Loie, who was born 39 weeks and five days, as a, as we, we call stillbirth, when she was born and pronounced dead. Um, I still consider her my rainbow baby because she instilled strength and courage and hope and the the sheer resilience to get through life. And that was kind of the rainbow that she gave me to really look inwards and really look in my, you know, wounds that come – that start to like, you know, grief shines a flashlight on all our, our, our thoughts and, and beliefs. And that's what happened with Loey. And I was able to kind of take the time to heal my grief journey through my grief journey, but also to really look deep inside of me and, and, and see what kind of woman I become or what kind of woman I want to become. And so in that regards, Loie is you know, a rainbow baby, a rainbow angel, a rainbow, I call her a rainbow baby, but um, because she gave me that, that beautiful gift and I choose to see it as a gift. Um, obviously you don't see it as a gift right away because you're so in your grief and your pain and your suffering, but when you move into a place of safety, you're able to look back and, and take what you need. And so th- Yeah. So that I think rainbow baby is a baby, regardless if the, if your baby was born alive or dead, that gives you the permission or the gift or the opportunity to learn more about yourself, to really dig deep and to really um, know who you are as a resilient, courageous woman, um, or person. And so that's my definition of a rainbow baby.
1: Hmm. I love that.
0: Um,
1: I've had a similar experience where after Ellis was stillborn, we were pregnant and I thought that was going to be our rainbow baby. And we ended up miscarrying that baby. But similarly, I do consider that to be a rainbow baby in the sense of, um, I don't know what the sex was, but that baby came after a loss Mm -hmm. and after a storm. And for me, I don't consider Ellis to be a storm that I know a lot of people get caught up in the definition because of that. It's like, well, my first baby wasn't a storm, but it's, you know, that experience there, what happened, the grief surrounding it was the storm. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing your, your perspective on that. No problem. Um, So how about you start with um, the twins and, and I don't know how far your journey kind of even goes before that. I know you've struggled with infertility and you've gone through fertility treatments. Um, So yeah, just start kind of at the beginning of that story.
0: Yeah. Um, so whenever I share my story, I always want to start by saying it's a, it's a story of hope it's a story of, um, resilience, um, because there's so many layers to my story. And sometimes when people listen, they're just like, wow. Um, but I definitely want to, you know, share with everybody that it's, yeah, it's a journey of hope, a journey of hope and a journey of courage, but, um, you know, it, my fertility journey starts very similar with a lot of people's fertility journey. You know, like I um, got married later. I got married when I was 31 and my husband and I met each other quite quick. Like we met each other and we got engaged and we got married and we're like, whoa, we need to kind of get to know each other. Don't want kids right away. So we waited and waited and we got to 35 and I went to my doctor's for a routine, you know, birth control, um, appointment. And she's like, well, Jen, you're 35. You might want to think about children. And I was like, wow, like I've heard of this, but I've never actually been like told this. And I was like, okay. So I went back home and I'm like, okay, Nick, I think probably we need to get, get serious about this children business. Like, do we want children? Do we not want children? If we do, we need to start, blah, blah, blah. So we had this discussion and then we were trying, but not trying. And then after a year of trying, but not trying, I was like, hmm, I don't understand. A lot of other people are getting pregnant and I'm not getting pregnant. There must be something else here. So we were living in the UK at this point. So I would see a doctor and got checked, and he said, "Oh, you're not." Um, he told me two things. He said you're not ovulating every month, but also you seem to be premenopausal. I was like 36 at this point. I was like, "Wow, didn't hear that. I've never heard that term before. Okay, this is all new, right?" Um. And then, so we, I did all, I'm very much a holistic person being a yoga teacher. So I did everything natural, right? I threw away all the toxic shampoos and (laughs) ate organic and did the acupuncture and like, you name it. I was just like doing it all. And we still didn't get pregnant. And then we were living a really hectic life, very stressful life in the UK. So we decided to move back to Vancouver, Canada. And we moved back to Vancouver, Canada in September. And then we found out we were pregnant in February of the following year, naturally, and I remember the moment I like you pee on that stick the very first time, and you're like, oh my God, it's actually happening." And I hold on to that moment because that was the moment where I had pure innocence and just pure, pure, pure joy, and um. And then, I guess, about six or seven weeks later, I started to bleed. And of course, it was this is all new. And I t- spoke to my mom. she's like, "Oh, I bled with you. Everything's fine. Don't need to worry." but I was I was getting worried. So we went to for an ultrasound and we found out we were pregnant with identical twins. And so identical twins share the same placenta. They had two separate sacs but share the same placenta. It's a very high risk pregnancy. So, I was sent to a high risk doctor. I literally went to ultrasounds every week. I went to see, um, I literally had appointments every week, blood tests, ultrasounds. I mean, it just turned from joy to to clinic, clinical doctors, doctors. And I think at that point, I started to disassociate myself from the pregnancy to keep safe. Um, And it just turned into very medical. It's like a, a, Like, yeah, just very medical energy. Like it was just very clinical, I guess, clinical. And then um, I started, um, so I bled a lot. I had a subchronic hemorrhage. Um, I think I had about four or five emergency trips. I was now, I guess it was 20 weeks into my pregnancy. I was leaking amniotic fluid. All this time was very hopeful very hopeful. And then at 20 weeks, they had said, I think it's best if you terminate um, one of the pregnancy or one of the one of the twins. And so we were trying to kind of move through that. And then we went back to see a specialist, and then another specialist, and then another specialist, and they all said, Jen, you're leaking amniotic fluid, you're bleeding a lot, you're um, everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. And now your health and your life is at danger. in danger. And so they all told us the same thing. It's best to terminate this pregnancy. And so we did. And that was horrific. There's just no, I mean, there's just no words. Just, you know, you have to go three days before the actual, so you go in three days before. And I guess I'm sharing the story and it may trigger people and I want them to be a bit curious about that, but also sharing it because I know there's other women that have gone through this and I want them to know that they're not alone and that um, I'm hoping that sharing will normalize their, their feelings and their, their stories. But um, we had set an appointment to go in, I stopped the heartbeats and then the doctor sent us home, patted my husband on the back and said, take care of her, take her out for dinner." right? And I was like, you just, <laughs> do you know what you just did? Do you know what? And then I had to carry our twins dead for three, day, three days before I could go into a d and And was
1: that normal procedure or was that just because of their scheduling or what? It was
0: scheduling. It was scheduling. It was all scheduling and um, something that's not unheard of. I'm hoping that now it's been seven, eight years. I'm hoping now that things have changed. Um, but I was literally on the phone going, this is, I, this is unreal. Like that I cannot be doing this. Like I literally was in a state of shock. Um, and we went in for the operation and I, it just was just, again, another horrible experience. The aftercare was horrible for me. Um, I was rushed into emergency um, about a week after, because I had developed a blood clot and so i had to literally my grief from terminating our twins went straight into grief of my health and so i had to take care of my blood clot and so there was no room for healing you know the depths of healing because i had to like move on to something else and i guess it was distracting and of course i disassociated myself um and so that that's kind of the story around our beautiful twins we never really found out the sex of our twins um that is something i regret to this day um but through meditation and visualization and just asking um i do believe they were boys so we have a memorial in vancouver Um, we've named our boys um toby and rafe and um i always have an image of them playing near a big willow tree I always go back to that to to help remember and connect with them and then the doctor said oh Jen six months after this you can definitely get pregnant again you can definitely try again and so that's what we did you know you just kind of get back on and you just just tunnel vision and I literally stopped doing everything else I stopped doing yoga because I was scared of doing yoga I literally was just like tunnel vision I need to be a mom I need to be a mom Um, and we had several early on miscarriages and then um, we decided to do IVF. We did IUI for two cycles. Didn't work. We did IVF. And then at the, when we did IVF in Vancouver, the doctor had said, the doctor called us and said, I'm sorry, Jen, but you're not body, your body's not taking the hormones. Um, it's just not working. And Have you ever thought of egg donor? And this was about mm, not even a year after we lost our twins. And I freaked out. I literally freaked out. I was like, first of all, you're telling me this over the phone. Second of all, you're now telling me I have to go find an egg donor because my eggs aren't working. And then we stopped. We literally stopped trying. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. I cannot handle this. And it was the same time I went back to school and started teaching and I was just, it was just too much. And now I know I had PTSD and trauma, um, but at that point I didn't know. And um, we took a break um, and we moved to the UK. And then when we moved to the UK, um, again, we looked into a private clinic um, and he said, oh, you're on the wrong protocol. You were on the wrong protocol. You need this protocol. And I was sitting there going, how can you just so easily talk about my body this way? How can you just be so just, I don't know, nonchalant about, oh, you were on the wrong drugs. You need to do this and this and this. We need a new protocol. And I was just like, my husband's sitting there. I'm like the only woman in that room. And I was like, wow, like you have such control over my body. And, and looking at that, Thinking about it now, I'm just, again, I was just like, wow, this, I'm not ready for this. So we waited a little bit and then, you know, you get older and older and older and you're like, oh, dang. So we were about to go for an IVF cycle in the UK and then I got pregnant naturally. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, and of course I was doing the acupuncture. I was doing like massage. I was seeing like one of the top Ayurvedic doctors in the UK. I was like, I got this. I got this. This is happening. And then it was 11 weeks and I miscarried. And it was the same week that one of my dear friends was getting married. And I had to call her and say, I'm sorry, but I cannot go to your wedding because I just had a miscarriage. And it was just like, this is <laughs> so nuts right? Like I was looking forward to her wedding. I have to tell her literally a couple of days before she's getting married that I can't go because of this. And I didn't want her to feel sad. So then you sit in your head and all these stories and the shame and the embarrassment and then at the same time you're miscarrying. Wow. Like we go through so much. We go through so much. And so we took some time off again And then at this point, we had decided to move to Seattle, Washington, because my husband had um, accepted a job. And it was really nice, because I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada, Pacific Northwest. I was like, oh, this is great. As soon as we got here, it's like a pattern happening. As soon as we got here, I was like, okay, let's look into a donor. Like, this is it. This is it. It's happening. I was like 40 years old. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen now, right? And We went and we saw the most amazing doctor, right? Like when you have the most amazing doctor, you feel safe. And when you feel safe, then you want to move forward, right? Because the body needs to feel safe. Your mind needs to feel safe. And he was beautiful and lovely and, and humorous and all at the right time. And we did series and series of tests. And he said, Jen, like you could try naturally, but this would happen. You try IVF, but you literally have 2% if you try fresh egg donor, you have an 88% chance of taking a baby home. And I was like, okay, well, I'm ready. Let's do this. Of course, I was highly anxious. Um, I was getting triggered left, right, and center. Again, not knowing I had PTSD. I was just kind of like fighting and hoping and moving through everything as you do, as we do, as we do. And um, we found a egg donor that looked exactly like me because you have to go shopping and she was 19 years old. And I was like, Oh my God, this is great. Sadly, she did the IVF cycle and she had no eggs, nothing, 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 nothing. Bless her. And so they felt really bad for us. And they, um, it's so funny. Sometimes you go back and you share this and you're like, some of the things that people say, the doctor means meant well, but he was like, I am so sorry. This has never happened in all 25 years of being opened. Like, great. Right? I get to be the the one freak person. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That it would happen to me. of course It would happen to me. And of course you have this confirmation bias, right? You think it's going to happen to me. So of course it's going to happen. And then, and then I'm like, I, at that point I was like, I know why you said that, but I just don't need to hear that at the moment. Um, so they gave us seven, seven eggs. One, one fertilized, and that was Loi. And so we had one embryo. And I was really nervous about getting pregnant. I didn't trust my body. Um, I wasn't feeling really aligned to my body. But I was, I was so determined. I was so determined. This is going to be my rainbow baby. And I'm not going to have the same experience I did with our twins. I am going to enjoy this pregnancy. I stopped teaching yoga. I um, just stayed, we were lucky enough financially. I could just stay home. We had bought a house. It was just like, right, this is me time. Now I'm going to enjoy this to the fullest as much as I can. Right. Cause you balance the grief, you balance the anxiety, you balance the joy, but being grateful that I was pregnant in that moment. And it was a high risk pregnancy because I again I had a subchronic hemorrhage, blood clot, uh, blood because I had a blood clot. I had to do my blood thinner shots every day uh, for the entire pregnancy, and then of course you have to do progesterone shots and everything. Um, I thought I had a miscarriage, so there was a point where I had to go to emergency and I was bleeding so much because they had given me they had given me too much heparin. And so we had to lower the dose and it was always about kind of figuring that all out right so on top of trying to enjoy this pregnancy again there's the medical part but again at that time i was just really appreciative that someone was taking care of me that they were watching me answering my questions and i was really trying to self advocate for myself as much as possible, because I didn't when I was pregnant with the twins. And so I learned to make sure that I always spoke about the nudges, always spoke about my anxiety, always spoke about something that didn't feel right. Um, and then we went to a barbecue, I came home, fell asleep, five o'clock in the morning, excruciating pain, went downstairs, had a bath called my birth doula. She said, call the nurses. My husband was upstairs sleeping. I said, Nick, I think I'm in labor. I need to go to the hospital. And at that time, I didn't know whether to take my heparin shot or not because you can't take it so many hours before um, delivery. The nurse said, just come on in. We'll see how far you're dilated. And then um, we'll take it from there. And we're like, okay, 39 weeks and five days. Thank you for asking. Yeah, 39 weeks and five days. It was the day before Memorial Day. We um, went to the hospital, got our bag, walked through the double doors, went into the room. They did the heart monitor. The nurse left the room. Another nurse came in. That nurse left the room. The head nurse came in. That nurse left the room. Yeah. <laughs> The doctor came in and I was like, can someone please tell me what the F is going on here? Like, I'm just like, what is going on at this point? I knew, but I needed someone to tell me the head doctor came in and cause it was a residence um, hospital, university of Washington. And, um, he said, just right there, Jen, just right there. That's where hearts should be. And, um, there isn't a heartbeat and I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. I went in straight into survivor mode. I was like, okay, painkillers, um, epidural, let's get this baby out, let's do this. Call my birth doula. My husband went straight into shock and passed out. Um, We went straight into the delivery room. They put us in a delivery room that was very, that was like separate from everybody else. Um, The staff was amazing. the doctor, the nurses were so, I mean, they just held space for us and they were just so amazing. My birth doula came um, and I told myself, I am going to try to be in this delivery room and I'm going to try to do this for my daughter. And it was just, I mean, as you know, it's just the most insane experience ever being able to birth but also having to grieve at the same time and it thankfully was an easy birth um and again the doctors were amazing Um, my birth doula and this was her first stillbirth that i found out afterwards and of course she was traumatized and she was grieving and um, the nurses were absolutely amazing. And the one thing I learned from the two experiences of the twins and of our twins and loey was that the support you get from the hospital, the support that you get after this is so important and actually paves the way of your healing. If you get the support, then your grief process or your grief journey is so different from when you don't have the support. Um, and we felt that. And we went home. they let us stay there for three days with Loe, um, just to spend time with her. and then we went home, and then it was just the grief journey, you know, feeling like you're a zombie, not understanding why everyone else is doing what they're doing how can they how can the what? world go on right? Yeah. yeah, like what excuse me, yeah <laughs> um. All the firsts, right Taylor? Yeah. All the first, going into that shower first time, yeah. making myself wallfros for the first time. All the firsts were so incredibly painful to do. Just all those firsts. Um, we saw a grief counselor, a great a pregnancy loss specialist, um, a psychotherapist. Um, we made sure that the support was there because we were told about this support when we lost our twins or when our, when we had to terminate our twins, um, we were just given pamphlets. So we were actually like, a, when a human tells you, this is what's out there for you and checks on you on a daily basis, you feel safe. And then when you feel safe, you will, uh, you will reach out for support. And that was the difference between the two. Mm um I'm so glad you had that
1: because I I haven't even thought about that perspective of how that initial response can affect your long-term healing because mine was unfortunately just the pamphlets with Ellis's stillbirth and and so yeah we didn't feel safe we didn't reach out to any of those people on the pamphlets because it was like and the person who came in to hand them to us even seemed a little bit incompetent you know like She was awkward. She was maybe in the room for two minutes. And so that was really disappointing. And um, we weren't given that guidance. So I'm so glad that you were. And I'm glad that you're also talking about it so that other people who are listening can know that, you know, there are are better ways to support parents going through this. And that if you aren't given those resources, you, you should find a way to get them, you know? Yeah,
0: because they're there. They are there. Um, oh, and I'm so sorry you had to go through that too, because that adds to the, tra- the trauma and that adds to the grief. Oh, um, yeah, and 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 because I know the difference of not being supported and being supported, that's why it was so important for me to help our community. You know, I was looking for a grief therapist or a grief coach that was kind of like my age that understood the complexities of being, I guess, 40 and having this out of order death happen or loss happen and all the therapists. And and I mean, they're all probably very lovely, but very, but they weren't, they were very hallmarky and just very general. And I needed someone that was like, just held space and helped me plan for the future. And so that's why I became, you know, a life coach and a grief coach and everything else in between, it seems, Um, because I really want to be able to hold space for our community and to be able to guide women in their healing Um, and so that they can live a life after loss in a most empowering way in their sovereignty so they can self-govern and so they can find out who they truly are because this pain to purpose or this, you know... um, you know, post post-traumat- post-stress, tra- post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth. Like, there, it is real. It does happen. Um, but you also n- need to feel safe and guided. So, um, after we, so after our acute grief period with Loi, my husband and I said, "This can't be it. This literally can't be it. Like, Loi needs a sibling. Like, this can't be it." I said, I can't get pregnant again. I won't get pregnant again. So we sold our house and we moved on to surrogacy. And you still have the same emotions as if you were being pregnant, as if you're moving into getting pregnant again. It's just a little bit different because you yourself physically aren't pregnant, but you still have the same kind of anxieties when you move in towards surrogacy. but. Luckily, I had the tools and the strategies to kind of be able to guide me. Um, So we reached out to a fertility clinic, and um, they already worked with a surrogate agency. And at that time, Washington State, it was illegal to go through surrogacy, so we had to go to Boise, Idaho. We interviewed two surrogates who seemed to be lovely, but it didn't work out. And then we interviewed a third one who's now our surrogate, and she's absolutely gorgeous gorgeous family lovely 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 family she herself is just so beautiful and we went again did the egg donor we first wanted to use the same egg donor so that we could have a genetic link to loey but that didn't happen and i started to grieve that um and then we found an egg donor and we had five uh, seven eggs and two fertilized and were um Uh, tested and and they looked healthy and one of them is now our son milo um who is 13 months um another rainbow baby and just yeah and 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 that's the next moment of joy you know like that first moment where you get pregnant before all the loss and the grief you're like oh my god and then you hold on to the next part when you have your rainbow baby. But um, the surrogate journey itself was very interesting. It was her first time, my obviously my first time. And um, the surrogate agency was very supportive. So finding a surrogate agency that supports you, that you really get along with is so important. When you are matched with a surrogate, ask all the questions. It's so important to ask all the questions. If you get a nudge where you're not trusting or where you're kind of curious about something, lean into it, find out more. Um, You have the right to ask questions, to learn more. And when you find the surrogate that's right for you, you'll know, it's like a whole body feeling like you just know. You create the relationship that you want with your surrogate um, and you could set boundaries and and you have to do a lot of trusting and a lot of There's things you can control and there's things you can't control and you just have to trust. And it's like how we talked about before, it's choosing that joy. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy the moments. Yes, you can hold joy and grief and anxiety at the same time, but I'm going to choose this joy. And so our surrogate journey, because of that choice, was beautiful. And um, the birth, the delivery room, when I walked in, I had a panic attack. This was the first time entering a delivery room after our stillbirth. And I was triggered. And I cried. And I was being held and supported in the most beautiful way. And then Milo was born. And that rewired, that rewrote my narrative. And so it was a really beautiful, beautiful experience. And now, parenting after loss. I <laughs> think parenting's hard. No, I'm just saying. It is the most spiritual, um, challenging, rewarding experience. Um, it's, and that, and, and, and hence why I'm doing my conscious parenting coaching certification with Dr. Shafali because it's triggered a lot of my upbringing. It's triggered a lot of my inner child. And then you've got the compounding grief and the trauma in there as well. And I didn't want to give that to Milo, didn't want to give that to my son. I didn't want to give it to my gener- future generations. So it's a lot of healing, a lot of looking inwards um, and understanding where we're being triggered on a daily basis. I mean, he fell and hit his head, Taylor. And I was like, oh, my body started to shake. It was the first time I was like, my body started to shake. I was like, oh my God. And my husband's like, okay, Jen, what do you need right now? And I had to do my trauma regulation, right? And I'm like, okay, breathe move around pause i have a choice i can fight fight or freeze or i can choose to lean into this and help him and i chose to do that and now I've, you know rewired it so next time it happens it'll be different um but um, that's, that's a different different session but um, yeah <laughs> different podcast but i mean <laughs> it's um yeah so moving into more of a conscious parenting style rather than a reactive is really important for me with parenting after loss and something I'm really passionate about right now. Um, but throughout that, and all that story, my story, the legacy of Loie, um I do what I do because of her and because of Milo. Um, but yeah,
1: there you go. Well, so since I'm currently pregnant and hoping that, this baby will be born living. Um, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, what will those first few hours, first few days be like? And I'm really glad you just shared that you had a panic attack in the, in the labor and delivery room, because I haven't been in that space either since Ellis was still born. And so I've, I sometimes wonder what will that be like for me? And so it's, it's good to know that you know, you were able to have that and also move through it and have that, um, like you said, rewiring, um, because I am trying not to put any expectations on myself of how I will or won't respond to that. Um, and I've talked to enough other parents now to know sometimes that moment that you dream about, isn't what you <sharp inhale> dreamed it would be, you know? So if you wouldn't mind sharing just like, what were those first hours like with Milo
0: and you know, the first, the first few days, first week, Yeah, I love that question, because it's so important when you're living after loss or or living with PTSD, to remember, to remind yourself of those moments so that your body and your mind can sit in safety. Um, So thank you for asking that question. Um, When he was born, the doctor who had done who has done a lot of surrogate births who was absolutely an angel oh my god um literally was like took milo needed to do what he needed to do and then gave milo to me and we did skin on skin and when he gave me milo i missed lowey i was just thinking about lowey at that time and i was trying to be in the moment so it was this like internal Battle! Oh, it's 11-11 in, in, in Seattle right now. I love numbers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, it was this internal battle between Jen being the moment. Oh, my God, this is happening to I miss Loey. Loey should be here to, oh, my God, I can't drop him. Oh, my God, is he okay? Is he breathing? Oh, my God, we did it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was just literally like that, just one thought after the other. And the only thing that brought me back was my breath as you know, so I had to seriously, seriously connect with my breath to anchor me in that moment. And when I did, I was able to look at him. I was able to hold him and touch him and feel his skin. And remember, the last time I held a baby like that was Loie. And so I had to really create a lot of self-compassion for myself and say, it's okay to be crying right now. It's okay to miss Loie. It's okay to feel angry that Loie's not here. You know, it's okay to feel lost um, because as we give ourselves permission to feel all of it, that means we're in the moment, you know, we're in this moment and that's the healing part. Um, And so it was a lot of healing, a lot of emotions and just feeling everything. And I also had to set very strong boundaries because we had her surrogate and her, and I had said to her, you know, you can, your mom can be there. Your husband obviously can be there. And she's like, it's okay. My grandmother comes. And I was like, of course there was people there that was, that I wanted her to have to support her. But at the same time, they didn't know what I was going through the pain, the joy. And so I had to really tell them, I think I said to her, her grandmother was quite sweet. She's like, He's beautiful. He's gorgeous. I said, thank you. I'm just taking the time for myself right now because I really miss my daughter. And they were totally respectful. Um, but I thought it was really important to be able to say that to create the healthy boundary without being too <laughs> aggressive about it. Um, and then of course you're the nurse needs to weigh him and uh, check everything's okay. And again, this is, okay, you know, it's re-traumatizing me a, a bit because it's the same thing. They took Lowy away and they put her in her hat and her outfit and, um so I had to really be present I had to be really grounded um and that's something that you do internally and you don't you, you like you said no expectations you just have to find your inner strength um and literally just take it second by second literally take it by second by second um and then you know we stayed in the hospital that night and literally I was like oh my god there's a there's a there's a baby in this room like there's a baby that is pooing and (laughs) peeing and then it starts to shift a little bit right because you start to like realize it you start to feel okay the doctor comes and checks the nurse checks and then you take the baby out of the hospital and you're like oh my god like that moment where you're walking out of the hospital with your baby you're like I never thought this was going to happen but you hope and you hold on to it And then because we were in Boise, we had to take him on a plane back to Seattle where my parents were. And uh, you should have seen us. Oh, my God. We're like, we don't want to sit around. We don't want to sit with anybody. (laughs) Nobody can be around us. I was like literally giving Nick disinfected wipes. Wipe everything down. Wipe everything down. Um, Holding him so close. And luckily the plane ride was only an hour. Uh, We landed. and, And then we started our journey with Milo. Um, but I have to, to be so honest, I, it took me a while to bond with him. And I know this has happened to several of my clients after pregnancy loss. Um, it took me a while to bond, but I knew the reason why my body was protecting me and took a good couple of months. And of course you're exhausted. You're hormonal. You're just, everything's happening. So It took a couple of months to really, really be able to say, this is my son. I'm your mom. And also with the surrogate journey. And I had to officially adopt him as well because it was an aid donor. And it took a while. It really did. It really did. But I made an effort every day to be grateful for something and to find joy in something. Um, And to tell myself, it's okay to have really crappy days. You are a mom. Just because it took 10 years, just because you went through pregnancy loss, just because of this, just because, you know, it's okay to complain that you're tired. It's okay to freak out if he's like, you're a mom, you're allowed to have both, right? Because sometimes we're like, I felt guilty. I was like, I can't complain. I can't complain. Yes, you can complain. You can complain. Parenting is hard, but it's the most beautiful thing at the same time. So, yeah yeah and here we are 13 months well thank you for sharing that
1: perspective because i think probably like my guess would be that the majority of of parents who've experienced pregnancy loss have those feelings at some point and um and probably don't share them or talk about them because i'm sure there is shame or like i should be so happy i should you know all those shoulds Um, and so i think it's important to normalize those things by talking about them so Thank you for talking about them um and so one question i have for you is um where did you find unexpected hope through your
0: journey hope 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 to where i found hope was myself you know like it's such a journey of internal healing so many levels um your inner child stuff comes up patternings come up Um, and it wasn't until i realized my coping strategy sucked (laughs) 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 Um, and it wasn't mine it was my parents and the patterns of that but um that i was able to really find my inner inner healer my inner mother my inner parent Um, but it was, it was, you know, I can, it, I found hope through podcasts like yours. I found hope through communities that, um, share the similar stories. I found hope through people that went through pregnancy loss. However, it took me to find hope within myself first in order to be able to reach out and in order to, to lean into these communities and in order to become a coach myself, um, I had to have that hope. And so, yes, there was things that helped me find my hope. Um, but really hope for me was internal, like the resilience, the strength um, and not, giving up. And when I say not giving up, you know, I've had clients that chose after several losses chose not to be a mom. They're like I can't do this anymore. And that's a choice, and that's not giving up. You know, you've chosen that and that's totally fine. Totally cool, totally like, you know, it is a choice of empowerment there when you choose I'm, I'm good. I'll be a mother in other ways. I'll be a nurturer in other ways. Um so I definitely want to acknowledge those who have decided to stop. Um, because there was moments in my journey was like, every time I try this, it's more loss, more pain. Why am I still doing this? Um, but it was the hope of, you know, holding my baby. And it, and, and and I don't know, it, it'd be interesting to know um, your thoughts too. But when I had Loie, held Loie, I felt the hope. Like she gave me hope. And she gave me purpose. And, you know, Loie was also the guide in helping me find hope again. I don't know if you felt that too. Absolutely. I mean, in, in
1: symbolic ways too. the day that ellis was stillborn my sister-in-law on the way to the hospital saw a rainbow over the highway and she took a picture and then later that week when i was home she showed me the picture and said that she knew it was from ellis and that's when i really felt that true sense of of hope and like you said he he gave that to me he totally changed my life and um, in really beautiful and powerful ways, and of course, I wish that he didn't have to die, um, but I can't change that. So I'm willing to take the gifts that he he brought instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and but yeah, absolutely, I felt that sense of hope, and even my my first experience, similar to you, before I could really start reaching out to other people or even knowing, you know, what podcast to listen to or who to follow on Instagram, it was. I had to find that hope in myself first and um, I had this experience where the first I think it was maybe the second night that um, Hunter and I came home from the hospital I had a c-section so I had to stay in the hospital for about three days um, came home was on a ton of heavy medications just pain medications um, and there was one night where I couldn't sleep I wasn't really sleeping at all during that time but um, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I felt like my heart was literally stopping. Like I just, I, I would, I actually have still a record on my iPhone where I like tracked my heartbeat. Cause I was so worried, like my heart's going to stop. And it, it was like a low heartbeat, you know, it was like in the fifties or something, but I just remember thinking like, well, you know, if it does stop, that would be okay. And just wanted to die with Ellis um and the grief was just so heavy and acute and intense at that point and I woke Hunter up and I was like I think there's something wrong with me like my heart is gonna stop and and he you know he took me seriously but I think he also knew it was just the grief and it manifests in physical ways oh
0: my god Um,
1: yeah yeah and so that next night We decided to take a walk outside the house for the first time. And because of the C-section, it was really difficult for me to walk still. And so, and I also didn't want to see any neighbors or anyone. So we went out at nighttime. It was around like 10 PM. And I remember walking outside very slowly. um, And the moon was full. It just lit up everything I could hear the cicadas chirping, frogs, Mm -hmm. you know, making their sounds. There's just like all this life around me, even though there weren't any people. And that walk we took, it was only like to the end of the block. It was very slow, you know, but that was what, that's where I first experienced hope. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even for anything in particular, like necessarily having another baby. It was just like hope that I can live on beyond this and that somehow I will survive um so yeah and he and then I got the rainbow and then I started seeing more rainbows at significant moments like wow the the day that we spread Alice's ashes um it was just me and Hunter by ourselves at this place in Texas called Enchanted Rock and there was a double rainbow in the sky and it was like partly cloudy um so yeah just those kind of moments Mm -hmm. that, um, give you that sense of hope again, of just like, there is something more here going Mm -hmm. on. I don't really know what it is. It's all kind of a mystery still. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've been learning to just embrace that mystery, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, so yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, Louise animal is, or her sign to us is an eagle. Oh, so whenever we see an eagle, we know it's her. And for her first anniversary, we went to Tofino, which is this beautiful place on Vancouver Island. It's just really primitive, um, you know, raw, quite raw landscape. And literally, there was no joke—an eagle. We stayed there for four days. There was an eagle perched in the tree in front of our, uh, like our um, condo that we had and literally like every day it was there wow. and i wow. was just like I'm, that's lowy that's that's lowy you know and then when you get these signs or reminders i mean it's just so beautiful isn't that it? it does help you with the hope yes yeah
1: how how did you see the how did the first eagle appearance Arrive? happen
0: alive um, we left the hospital we drove home And we saw an eagle fly over and I hadn't paid attention to eagles before. Um, And I was just staring at this beautiful, majestic eagle just flying overhead. And I just held on to it. I didn't tell Nick about it. I just kind of held on to it. And then it just happened again and again and again. And I said, Nick, like, I think Loi's spirit animal or not spirit animal, but her, her sign to us is an eagle. And he's like, Jen, did you see that eagle? And so it was like, oh yes. Okay. So you saw it and didn't say anything. I saw it and didn't say anything, <laughs> but we knew exactly what it was. Yeah. And so that's so special. when Milo was born, we actually bought a little stuffed eagle and we put it in his little bassinet um, and he's in his room. And we always say that's, you know, lowly protecting him and watching him and he has a guardian angel and um yeah, and and, Lo, and he has Louis Lovey that Louis had and yeah, those are first two when you start <laughs> when you're like, oh, this stroller is Loie's stroller, but now Milo's using it. And so you have to kind of like, oh Loie, I miss you. I'm a, and I'm grateful for being able to use this. But um and Louis box, her box where her ashes are. Is a rainbow box. Oh, it's beautiful. Did the hospital the hospital give that to you? No, we so the hospital. Um, no, we arranged it with a funeral home. Okay, so yeah. we took her body to a funeral home, and because we were living in Seattle and we didn't know how long we we're gonna be here, yeah, we didn't bury her or. Oh, we did take her ashes to. We asked them for a little of little jar of her ashes so that we can take it back to Vancouver, where the memorials for the twins, and we we um, threw it into the ocean um, but we have a box for her so when we figure out where we're settling then we'll have another ceremony
1: yeah I love that I have Ellis yeah. in this necklace I don't know if you can see
0: oh beautiful. That I'm wearing. yeah those things are so meaningful yeah,
1: yeah. so meaningful we have him spread in several places. So we have him. He's in the ocean, and Yay. he's at Enchanted Rock. He's in oh. this necklace, and then I. We're also gonna plant a tree in our front yard. Um, oh my god,
0: that's beautiful! This May. So oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. We might do that too. Now that we have a house, because we planted yeah. a. We planted a um hydrangea hydrangeas or, or is her flower. And so um I planted a bush in our old house but we sold it. So sometimes I'll drive that past it and see. Um but I'm gonna do that one here. Yeah, I'm gonna do it here in this our new place.
1: Okay, well tell us about
0: um the work that you do and what you're currently offering. Right. Um, so after Louie's pa- death, I um, like I said earlier, I was kind of looking for a grief coach, somebody to just like help me live a life in loss. Not to talk about the past, but more kind of can we talk about the present and the future? I couldn't find it. And so of course, I'm very much if you can't find it, you can create it. And so I became a certified life coach and a certified grief coach and worked with a lot of women who um, were trying to make sense of their lives after pregnancy loss. And infertility. Um, But currently, because of all the additional stuff that I've been doing with NLP, hypnosis, and conscious parenting, I really want to bring everything together. So as we're doing this, I'm kind of rebranding and trying to put everything together. And so originally, I had loss and transition. And now what I'm trying to do is bring everything in a very cohesive, powerful way. Um, And so I've started a conscious motherhood and so i help women move to i help women in their journey to motherhood and on and in motherhood after pregnancy loss and so um helping with you know the grief but also you know healing trauma so moving from emotional trauma to emotional emotional agility um moving away from the conditioning of the shoulds into the conscious and the intuitive um you know also welcoming um joy back into your life reclaiming your power so i'm kind of in a bit of a transition phase um and moving into a conscious motherhood. I currently have a teachable classroom um, the teachers coming out and I'm working on uploading um, several really powerful healing courses. Um, last week or the week before we launched our um, course to help women in their infertility journey um, during uncertain times and we talk about grief and how it shows up in the mind and the body and how you can self-advocate we talk about like relationships and how to maintain your relationship through, through grief um, and infertility and self-care practices that's that's up so you can always go there. And then today later today I am launching my pregnancy loss and trauma roundtable which is a six-day series of conversations about what is PTSD, how does it show up, um, how, what happens to your mind and your body and um, the modalities that helped me and the self-care, the self-compassion, and it's, um, again, creating the awareness Oh my gosh if I had this awareness before it's just creating the awareness and normalizing everything so that you can really start to really heal um so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment and I do it all you know obviously to serve our community but to that's me parenting Loie you know like that's me connecting to Loie um so all this is just done with the love of her and the guidance of her Um, And I just know how it feels to feel isolated and lonely and not know what to do when you're experiencing pregnancy loss, trying to be a mom. Um, So I just want all of us to come from a place of more joy and more empowerment. And so that's why I created a conscious motherhood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was looking at the website um, and it, it was, specifically sounding like you're also serving women right now during COVID-19 who've had fertility treatments canceled or postponed. Um, And it sounds like, I mean, I just know this whole collective grief that we're going through around the pandemic is, it brings up those other griefs that we all have through our experiences of, of loss. And then you add on top of that, just you know, more waiting and, um, -hmm. wondering. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit about like, how, how are you moving through this time or, or serving, serving other people? Yeah. Um,
0: that was the big, our big why of creating, um, you know, navigating your emotions through uncertain times that the course itself, because I, we still have that one embryo and it's a baby girl. And so we were going to move ahead in March with our surrogate. Everything was kind of aligned and everything was ready to go. And then COVID-19 happened and we had to put everything on hold. And all those old stories started to come up. I was panicking. I was anxious. I was like, I'm getting too old. What if something happens? And you start to raise in that fear, the vortex of craziness. And I was like, Whoa, okay. This makes sense, right? Because what we're doing, what our body's doing is it's trying to keep us safe. We're surviving, right? Uncertainty is scary for the brain. It's a very scary place to be for humans. And so we look for things that we potentially could happen to us. So we look for potential dangers. And so I knew what was happening. So I had to really come back to my daily practice of meditating, of breathing, of being grateful and know that, I'm safe and everything's okay right now. like everything's okay. just taking that reality check. Um, before I start to start to fall into the vortex. Um, it's hard because when you go through infertility, infertility itself is a grief and a loss, right? Because it's a loss of expectation. And then on top of that, being asked to wait again or to wait. There's another grief, there's another trigger, there's another emotional trauma that happens. And so when we're sitting in this uncertainty of COVID-19 and not knowing when, when we can try again, when we can do our fertility treatments, or even those who are pregnant during this time too, that's the added layer of anxiety, you know, and fear. And I always say to our community that the anxiety that you're feeling is a symptom of a trauma or an emotion that you are anxious because you're not feeling safe, right? We talked about this throughout the podcast. It's like this idea of feeling safe. So what do you know now that is safe? What do you know now that is reality? That's fact. That's a proven fact that now you're safe. Well, you're pregnant in this moment or you're, you've you got shelter You've got food. Like it's literally taking yourself back to that because your brain needs to know, right? Because your brain moves into the sympathetic nervous system and your brain will start to go survival mode and it will start to like hit the, you know, reptile brain of like all I need to do is eat and sleep. And <laughs> so you have to kind of find your safety and all that. And it's and I'm totally scratching the surface. There's so much in that, but the course goes into it a little bit more. Um but for anybody that is pregnant or having to pause their fertility journey or pause their dream of being a mom, uh, number one, find self-compassion for yourself. Number two, lower your expectations because it's a very different time right now. It's and and we're all trying our best, and you're trying your best. And three, know that it will pass. This too, this collective grief this collective um pandemic that we're going through will pass and know that these feelings are normal of whatever you're feeling and um it's okay to feel frustrated and sad and upset it's just your body trying to make sense of things and that's where you give yourself the permission to love yourself a little bit more to create that self-care yeah. Thank you. That's, no problem.
1: I mean, I'm going to have to um, re-listen to this <laughs> work <afterwards> because <laughs> that's just directly applicable and helpful for me. And I know mm-hmm. it will be for everyone who's listening. So thank I'm you. Glad. And just, I'll say thank you again for being so open and not only on this podcast, but through um, your platforms and um, kind of making that pivot and that decision after loss and grief and turning it into something that's healing and brings hope to others. Um, it's just, I, I'm inspired by you and and all the people in our community who are doing similar things. Um, ooh, I just heard, was that little Milo in the background? <laughs> Perfect. We got a little rainbow baby cameo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell, tell everyone where they can find you specifically on your platforms. I know you have a conscious motherhood. So is that, does that have a specific website um yes a great question
0: thank you um so right now I have Lois hugs um and that will be so interesting because I'm like I'm going to change it to a conscious motherhood but I I I feel like I want to keep it as Lois hugs um so right now the best platform is the teachable platform where I have my classroom where I will be uploading all the courses to help guide people Um, so that will be in the information, a conscious motherhood. Also right now, loss is, uh, has videos around grief and loss. It has a free ebook that will help you. If you've just experienced a loss, I talk you through the journey that I had and what happened to me literally in those months of after stillbirth, after our death of or the death of our baby. And, um, yeah, There's videos, there are blogs that will help. Um, I do show up quite frequently on Lois Hugs Instagram account, um, so that'll probably be a good place to go. So, Lois Hugs Instagram account, a conscious motherhood on teachable, and at the moment, uh, a loss and our in transition.com. But I know that'll be the information on the notes so people can look yeah. at it. I don't, I don't expect people to memorize all that.
1: I can't (laughs) (laughs) I will I will provide links and all the show notes and everything. So cool. Awesome. Well thank you so much, Jen. I'm so glad to share this space
0: with you and get to know you more. Same, same. So honored. Such a beautiful space. Thank you. Yes. I hope this episode
1: was meaningful for you. To connect with me, you can visit TaylorashleyBates.com and also find me on Instagram. And if you did find this episode meaningful, please subscribe and review this podcast, which will help others to find it. It also helps if you share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. Stay tuned for the next episode, where my fellow loss mama, Alyssa Christensen, aka Lissables, on Instagram, will share her powerful and moving story. Alyssa and I became connected through Instagram after our babies were stillborn on the same day, May 20th, 2018, which is the same day I plan to air the episode in a couple weeks. Until next time, I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.